Welcome to All Shall Be Well, a conversation hosted by InterVarsity's women in the academy and professions. Giving voice to women seeking to live fully into their God-given callings and be a redeeming influence, whether in the university or beyond. This episode of All Shall Be Well, Conversations with Women in the Academy and Beyond is the third in a three-part interview series with spiritual director Carrie Baer in which we discuss spiritual truths that can nourish us during these tumultuous times. Carrie currently serves as the Associate Director for Spiritual Formation of Faculty with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. She is married to Randy, mother to two grown sons, and lives in Spokane, Washington. Anne Boyd, Managing Editor at The Well, interviews Carrie in this episode, in which they discuss celebrating Advent and Christmas within our pandemic reality. Special thanks as well to Karen Guzman, Director of Women in the Academy and Professions, for editing this episode. And now, here are Carrie and Anne. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Anne. It's nice to talk to you again. I like talking to you, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here we are in mid-November. Let's talk about Thanksgiving and Advent. I think we're ready for that. It's been a very full fall for many of us at Women in the Academy and Professions. We've gotten our weird variations of alternate reality school underway, and we've managed to celebrate Halloween in some way, and we've endured a nail-biting election week and its aftermath. So let's just stop and pat ourselves on the back for a minute. There's been a lot going on. Yes. But now that all of these milestones are behind us, we are all thinking about the holidays. And I personally have plunged headlong into grief over what won't happen this year all the traditions and events that we'll be missing due to our pandemic restrictions. So can you offer some wisdom around processing this grief? Well, I can try. Thank you. I think the first thing is to just say, well, it is grief. It's, let's just name it as you Mm -hmm. have done and sit with that for a minute. It's not just grief, but it's grief upon grief, upon more grief, upon more grief. So that's a lot. Mm-hmm. And all griefs have to be grieved. And we're sort of tired of doing that. We've done it <laughs> a lot. Mm-hmm. And now we have to do it again. But I think that is one of the tasks in front of us is just to do what we do whenever we have grief. We, we are sad. We feel it. We name it and we kind of make our way through it. Having said that, I like to keep, I try to keep a couple of things in mind. One is very important. Christmas comes every year, it turns out. So I think this is one that we won't get to do the way we want to. But it's not like we'll never get to do Christmas again, because as I mentioned It comes around every year. And I think, in fact, all subsequent Christmases will be sweeter and more cherished and more appreciated after this. Hmm. And so I think that's one of the hidden benefits in this awful time is that because we take things for granted so much, when we don't get to have them, their value increases for us. And our sense of how much we care about these things is increased. So that can be a good thing. Mm -hmm. And number two, hey, it's still Christmas. 
And I like to focus on what can be done because I think there are some things. It's not like the whole thing is being taken away from us. So we can still bake some cookies and we can eat cookies, still listen to music, and we can still work on whatever promotes a sense of wonder for us. Whatever it is, you know, we can lean into it. If it's go outside and look at the stars or light quantities of candles or watch movies, read the scriptures, read poems for the season, there's so much that can still be done. So I think leaning into that, focusing on that, being grateful for that, savoring that, trying to really enjoy that is another thing that I try to keep in mind. And then I think the third thing is that we need to ask what invitations and opportunities is the Holy Spirit offering us in this kind of Christmas season? Hmm. What is the Holy Spirit offering that's new and perhaps would benefit us if we paid attention to it? So I I don't think God is going to just say, well, I'm not doing Christmas because of COVID. I'm going to take some time off. I think God is always, and even now in COVID times, trying to get our attention. He's going to keep trying to get our attention so he can show us how he wants to lead us in this time. So I think we need to be asking, what is he saying? Am I listening? What is there here that perhaps I would have blown past if I hadn't had to slow down for and think about what's going on in this particular season? So I think we should be watching for those things and seeing, you know, what can be learned from that. I love that. I think that is right on listening for the Holy Spirit and connecting there. And it actually, it leads me to this next thing that I keep thinking about the sense of separation. I feel it's like one of the most painful elements of this Mm -hmm. season is that we're usually with family and friends, but we're Mm -hmm. separated. And then not only are we separated because of the pandemic, I also, we're swimming in this alienation across Mm -hmm. political lines in America. And that feels constantly uncomfortable too. So you were asking, what is the Holy Spirit saying? And I guess connected to that, I want to ask if you have practices that affirm your connectedness to God and to community that could help overcome that sense of separation and alienation we're swimming in right now. Maybe (laughs) I can talk about how I've been trying to handle this and choices that I've made. I think first of all, I have to connect with God every day. So I've developed a practice of doing that in the mornings. Now, I don't have young children, and I am a morning person. So that really helps me (laughs) with that particular practice that might not be such a helpful idea for others. But I think we all have to find whatever the time and space is going to be in our day to be with God, because we need to tell him things and we need to listen And I think we have to reflect to what am I being attentive these days? What is getting my time and attention and energy? And is any of that going in the direction of my own spiritual journey? Hmm. For example, I have noticed, and I was talking to a friend about this yesterday, that I can put an enormous amount of time and energy into reading about the current political situation Mm -hmm. and what is happening. 
boy, am I able to make time for that and, <laughs> and reflect on that and talk to other people about that. What would happen if I were doing that with scripture? How transformative would that be? I'm not saying so we have to, you know, stop reading news and only read scripture, but I'm just saying notice where the energy is going and how what we make time for. Yeah. And what we don't make time for. So plus it just has been very sustaining to me to be be with God every day. And then I think we have to lean into our communities and our friendships and our worshiping communities. Hebrews has a place that says, in effect, let's be thinking about how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds or something mm-hmm. like that. Yes, I need to be spurred on in this whole business of not caving into despair, of trying to care about the people for whom the election turned out differently. I need to reach out. I need to listen. I need to not mock and scorn and sit in the seat of scoffers, as we uh, talked about once. Mm -hmm. So what I have been doing is I have friends I pray with every week on Zoom. They don't live in my city. They live far away. But I pray with them every week. And in those prayer times, we lament, we groan, we complain, and then we remember who God is and who we are in Christ, and what kind of women we want to be. We want to stand for justice, always. Mm -hmm. But we also want to listen to others who disagree with us and try to find some common ground, build a bridge, express care and kindness, that kind of stuff. Doing this with these women, well, in one case, it's one woman. We, at the end of each week, we debrief the week and then pray. And then she and I and two other women on the lead up to the election and through it and since the election have met to pray once a week. It's 30 minutes, but we we are spurring each other on to try to be, try to handle the political situation as women of God. And so we share what we're finding in scripture and what was helpful to us and and also when we've fallen down and we need help to get back up again and stuff like that. So the, those prayer times have been really helpful. And because of the nature of my work, I'm on two different teams. And both of those teams prioritize prayer. And so we pray every week, especially since the pandemic. So that means at a minimum, I pray with others who are agonizing over much the same things as I am at least three times a week and sometimes four. So it's very life-giving. I mm-hmm. recognize that not everybody's going to have time for that sort of thing or as much of it as I have because it's kind of built into my work rhythm. But I personally don't know how I would have kept going and especially how I would have been able to continue being a spiritual director without this prayer. It has been an amazing sustaining grace and foundational thing for me. I don't think I realized how much until recently looking back and reflecting on it. I think that sounds really wonderful. And it's it's sometimes harder in different situations, depending right. on your communities. But I think if you ask the Holy Spirit for someone to pray with, he will give you someone to pray with. And right. in fact, Women in the Academy and Professions, we have weekly prayer meetings 
online on Zoom on Thursdays and Fridays. It's on our website and I'll link to it in the show notes here. But I know that's been a place that's been really helpful for people. It, there are various times, depending on what time zone you're in, that are available. And there's something about coming back to it again and again. You begin to have sort of a conversation with God and with the other women about how you're getting through this thing and what, you know, kind of what you're learning, what God is showing you. And it's pretty helpful. Mm. And then I think I would just add to that. I do weekly worship with my husband virtually, which is not as satisfying, of course, as going to church. But we do it because we want to be connected to our worshiping community. And I email the pastors and the worship leaders when they do something that I think is particularly helpful, I just email them <laughs> and, and encourage them. And we've had little conversations in email. And, you know, it's a touch point community. And it's a way to encourage and say, I was, I was listening. I'm here. I see you. I want you to see me. I Zoom with my family, every my brothers and my dad. And sometimes some cousins and some grandchildren have joined in. We should have been doing this before the pandemic. I live in the state of Washington. My dad lives in Hawaii. So why weren't we doing this before? (laughs) But because of the pandemic, and this is one of the little hidden gifts of the pandemic is that it gets you to reach out to people that when you're super busy and you're running around all the time, it doesn't occur to you or you don't stop and do it. But we have done this weekly Zoom thing that has been a really wonderful touch point. Now, it's not a visit, an embodied visit in person. We can't hug. Mm-hmm. So, of course, there are lots of missing parts. But there's also been this kind of surprised delight that we've had. We're not a particularly close family. But we've all been surprised at how much we want to do this with each other every week. So I think things like that can help us with connections. I think every point of connection, human connection, matters right now. Everything. I don't care if it's Zoom, email, phone call, handwritten letter, which nobody does anymore, but me and maybe a handful of other people on the planet. But any point of connection these days is going to be significant for us, for the giver, and for the one who's receiving it. So I just think we need to be creative and think about ways we can do it and reach out and be intentional about it. I think the alienation across political lines and tribalism is harder to address. But my little tiny baby steps on this have been to think about not being tribal. For example, I did not say much about the election except privately because I didn't want the people for whom the election went the other way to be picking up anything from me that felt unhelpful. Mm -hmm. And so I have been quiet about it. It's a tiny thing, but for me, it's a discipline to think about the other and how they're doing, and how hard that must be. And I have some friends who are deeply invested in what I consider conspiracy theories right now, Hmm. but I love them. And so I've decided to make it a practice, even in private, not to mock or make fun of or denigrate what they're into, but to grieve and to pray Hmm. and to try to understand 
the best I can how they came to land where they are in their thinking. So this is about getting my heart straight towards the others on the other side, um, as it were. Mm -hmm. And it's sad. It is a grief on top of all those other griefs that we were talking about. But I carry it to Jesus soberly. And I try to love. We try to love. We try to extend grace. We try to do the human thing. And we just keep asking for mercy, which I don't think we deserve from God. But (laughs) I'm asking him anyway to have mercy on our very, very broken country. I have never prayed for our country so much as I pray now. And being a white woman of privilege, I just took things for granted a lot of the time Mm -hmm. before all this hit. I no longer take things for granted. And that's another good thing that has come out of this pandemic for me and this election season and racial unrest and everything. I do not take things for granted Mm -hmm. now. At least, I mean, I'm sure I do, but but not nearly so much as I did prior to this. Every good thing that's going on these days is a gift from God. So I am I'm on the lookout for the good things. That is a good word for all of us to be on the lookout for good things happening. Okay. Next topic. This podcast releases two days before Thanksgiving Day and just a few days after that Advent will begin. And for women in academia, this also marks the end of the semester for many schools, which means stacks of grading and paperwork, which is a challenging task in normal times, and much more so with the complexities of remote learning. So I would like to ask you for two things at once. Practical ideas for celebrating holiday traditions in a pandemic and how to do family, school, holidays, and everything all at once. Mm -hmm. Do you think we're going to make it through in one piece? Yes, I do. I'm not sure I have the answer for how to do everything at once, but I will tell you some things that I think might guide us as we think about this. Great. So first I'm going to do my take. Well, let me say my overarching touch point on this, I guess you would call it, is that women try to do too much always, Hmm. (laughs) every day. And that lands us in, I think, a lot of unneeded disappointment and stress. It is our dilemma. It is the air we breathe almost. And so I think just going in, we have to name that about ourselves, that we will set the bar overly high, probably. And we don't have to set the bar overly high. But Mm -hmm. we will try to do that to the degree that we can stop doing that. I think there will be more peace and joy and rest in our lives. So I'm just going to put that out there. Now, here's my take on the holidays. It is possible that I might have a little bit of a Christmas disorder. (laughs) I love every aspect of Christmas. And I want to do all things. I want to bake all of the cookies I see (laughs) in all of the pictures in all of the magazines. I want to decorate every corner of my home. I want it to be deeply meaningful every day, every hour of the Mm -hmm. season. But I also want sparkle and beauty. I want 
it to be abundantly Christmas every minute. So this is a recipe for bad mental health. <laughs> and I, I have friends who are in this group, this recovery group. I have a friend who has an equally well-developed Christmas disorder and her family, when Advent nears, starts preparing for the inevitable meltdown that's going to come. They know it's going to come. Hmm. She has lovely, beautiful ideas for Advent. And I've been on the receiving end of many of those. She works so hard, but she makes herself crazy trying to do it all perfectly. And then she gets so tired and frazzled. Hmm. And then the wheels come off and she is not having a joyful experience, nor is anyone around her having a joyful experience. And this has happened to me, I'm ashamed to say on more than one occasion, because remember Christmas comes every year. I have taken some deep dives into that and my family has watched and cringed and things like that. Now, I realize not everyone has the Christmas disorder. Some people are not into it in the same way, which I think we can be thankful for. Mm -hmm. But what this has taught me is that I have addictions and I have perfectionistic control issues. And I can make myself very unhappy, not to mention anyone living in the same house with me, if certain outcomes don't materialize. So I have had to learn to let Go. Two little words, such small words, <laughs> with such great power. Just let go. I think um, women end up doing Christmas for everyone often. Mm -hmm. And I think we all know women who are matriarchs that cannot be crossed on their viewpoint and practices when it comes to Christmas. And I think we. We all have to think about this and decide, is this who I want to be? Is this how God is calling me to live into this season? Am I insisting on things I should not insist on? Or am I expecting things of myself that are just too hard and setting myself up for way too much stress and ultimate disappointment? I think a practice I would suggest is to sit down quietly somewhere before Advent gets here, like now, <laughs> and ask ourselves, what are the top three to five things that make Christmas wonderful for me? Three to five, that's a small list. But what are the non-negotiables? Is it music? Is it a beautiful tree? Is it candles? Is it choosing and giving gifts? Is it cranberry sauce? What What is it? And could I mostly major on this handful of things and let the rest maybe not be perfect this time. Could I do that? Could I have that freedom to hold all the rest of it lightly? The wreath doesn't get put up. Some of the cards don't get sent. Certain things don't happen. And then I think, what are the top, say, three things that the other people in my household, if there are other people, really love? Is it sitting with cups of hot chocolate? Is it setting up the train that circles the tree? Is it going around the neighborhood and looking at everyone's lights? Make sure those things happen and let the rest just fade into a less important category. So I think for Christmas, especially this year, 
But I think this is a good principle for every year because as you will remember, it comes around. Mm -hmm. I think the key is to simplify, 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 which is hard and has some sadness to it. But then I think we savor the things that made the cut, the things that are on that short list. We savor them. We say this hot chocolate is the best hot chocolate I can ever remember. Mm. I'm going to put another marshmallow in here and just sit with this for a while and watch the marshmallow melting and enjoy this hot chocolate. And that can be a piece of the holidays that brings you joy and brings you life. Or I am going to listen to the Messiah or to... Whatever it is, for me, I love dulcimer music, uh, Christmas music. I mean, I, I love all kinds of Christmas music, but there are certain things that really bring it home for me. And so I make sure that I do that and I savor it. That can help settle it for us and the people in our, in our household. But I think also spending some time thinking about others outside of us who is alone and especially sad this year Mm. and puts an energy into some kind of touch point with those folks maybe not 25 of them but something like one a week that a family could think somebody who's a shut-in somebody who's alone somebody who is struggling whatever it is a phone call a zoom call a note email it's just a human touch point saying, I remember you. I know you're there. I can't be with you, but I'm thinking of you. Doing that will get us out of ourselves and our disappointments about what we're not getting to have and help us think about others. And then finally, I think remembering that Christmas isn't really about all this stuff that I get so caught up in. I think Jesus is okay with our joy around our holiday traditions But if they start becoming central, if we bow down at the holiday altar again and again, that's idolatry. And it means we're not spending time considering what really happened here, which is that God broke into our dark and fallen world in the incarnation. No twinkling lights except maybe the stars, no special music, no cookies, no wreaths, no sparkly trees, just This beautiful, incredible willingness to serve, to leave his throne and be in Mary's womb. And we have piled a lot of extraneous stuff on top of that central truth, that story. So perhaps we could lighten up on our traditions so as not to miss the true wonder of what actually happened in Bethlehem. So I think that can help us kind of get recentered on the meaning, what matters kind of reprioritize what are we really doing here anyway well that's a great segue to my next question which is about finding those quiet moments for reading and reflection and Mm -hmm. devotional time i love doing that in advent particularly and i think there are some practical challenges to that for many of us this year with children and spouses being home all the time for many of us. But in addition to that, I'm anticipating a different spirit around Advent and Christmas this year, maybe less Mm -hmm. uninhibited joy 
and more hope and looking to the future. So how are you anticipating the feelings around Advent 2020? Yeah, good question. Well, I think part of the way I approach this is I become kind of determined and intentional, I guess I am trying to say, about not uh, giving in to despair. Hmm. I love Advent and Christmas so much. I love what God did in the incarnation, but I also love the beauty of the way we in our society celebrate it. I love the colors and the lights and all the stuff that I've mentioned. And so I just am determined not to shut down on all of that, but to take in what I can and savor what I can and focus on that, I guess, Hmm. because it brings me joy. And I can't do anything about the fact that I can't be with my extended family that I love. So I think I tend to move on then from dwelling on that because it bums me out. about it. And so I think, well, what can I do? Let's do that. You know, can I mail some cookies to my son who I'm not going to see? How can we make a Zoom time with him really good? What can I pick out to give him that he'll really enjoy? I can do those things. So that's what I'm going to do. You mentioned hope versus joy. I think they go together. But yeah, I do think we are all looking for hope and trying to lead into hope And I think that's not a bad way to do Advent. I have loved reading Fleming Rutledge's book, which has the title simply Advent. Mm -hmm. And she makes the case that Advent is really that terrible, dark time when there is lots of suffering all around and people are waiting really for the second coming. She thinks Advent more about the waiting time before the second coming of Jesus as opposed to the Bethlehem coming, the incarnation. And that that is when Jesus will come and put everything right and uh, claim his rightful throne. But she sees it as the darkest dark before the brightest dawn. So actually reading her sermons about this, it's a whole collection of sermons. It's a great read for this pandemic time and our political unrest because she speaks right into what we're dealing with right now. She's just, it's so spot on. So that has been helpful to me to think about Advent that way. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad way to think about it. I think it does help us get into the story. Israel had been waiting for a Messiah for a very long time, and they had to keep hoping and watching and longing for it. And we are doing that. We're Mm -hmm. longing for that, this virus to get under control. We're longing for some kind of normal and to be able to hug people again and stuff like that. So I think what we're doing right now helps us get into the true meaning of Advent more probably, probably somewhat less dancing around. So it's going to be a more sober, quieter Advent and Christmas. Again, because it's we're not going to be able to gather. It's sober and it's quieter. That's all the more reason for me to lean into what sustains me. So again, I come back to the music. I come back to the beautiful writings and poetry and scripture of the season. 
and lots of prayer and lots of candles and lots of reaching out for touch points with friends and family anyway, even though I can't be with them and hug them. Hmm. And I just kind of accept it. That's how it's going to be this year. But next year, next year, Christmas will come again and it will be richer and more fun and more satisfying. So I can let go of one round, even though it's painful, I think, because it's not forever. Yeah. I appreciate your thinking about the message of Christmas, the story of waiting for the return of Jesus, waiting for the coming of Jesus, that that is so true and so such a robust idea that Mm -hmm. our circumstances right now aren't going to break it. It's going to actually add to the understanding Mm -hmm. of it and to our longing for Mm -hmm. his return and his kingship. Yes, I think so. So, Carrie, would you like to leave us with a poem or a song or a prayer for the season? Something that feels meaningful? I would. I actually have two poems, if that's all right. Wonderful. They are on the sober side. I'll just give you a heads up. (laughs) But I think they are helpful to uh, frame what we're doing here. So one is by Madeline Langle, the late Madeline Langle, who we all, many of us appreciate her books. And and this is one of her Christmas poems. Now, this is a little bit dated because it talks about a comet coming and that's not happening today. But I think the poem still stands. So it's called The Risk of Birth. This is no time for a child to be born with the earth betrayed by war and hate and a comet slashing the sky to warn that time runs out and the sun burns late. That was no time for a child to be born in a land in the crushing grip of Rome. Honor and truth were trampled by scorn. Yet here did the Savior make his home. When is the time for love to be born? The inn is full on the planet Earth. And by a comet, the sky is torn. Yet, love still takes the risk of birth. Hmm. The second one is called No Silent Night by Debbie Wallace. It was not a silent night. Men were questioning what this strange starlight meant. Others, roused in the midst of their watch, no longer questioned, for their night was split with the shock of a choir of angels shouting, Glory to God! The Christ child comes! It was not a silent night. It was a noisy, confusing night. The city was congested, Tempers were short. The inns were crowded, all of them. And Mary and Joseph, what did their hearts cry when they saw the lowly birth bed? It was not a silent night. His coming tore a woman's body. His coming was hard, dreadfully hard for everyone involved. His coming was not a mythical, anesthetized 21st century dream. 
It was hard and cold. It was heavy. But it was not silent. He forever split our darkness with the proclamation of angels that the light of the world was shining, that for all ages to come, we would know that heaven is not silent. For God has spoken. He has come. Amen. Amen. Wow. Those are beautiful. The images are ones that I want to sit with for a while. Thanks for sharing those. You're welcome. You're welcome. It was good to talk with you about these things. And you too. Thank you for joining us for this episode of All Shall Be Well, Conversations with Women in the Academy and Beyond. This is Caroline Trissick, and information about our guests can be found on our podcast page at thewell.intervarsity.org slash podcasts. This has been a production of Women in the Academy and Professions, a focused ministry initiative of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA. We value the contribution of podcast guests who are not employed by InterVarsity, and we acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may or may not represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. Thank you for joining our conversation as we engage in faith and life together. We'd love to hear your feedback. To share your thoughts or to learn more about who we are or the resources and connections we provide, we invite you to visit us at our online gathering place, The Well. You can find us at thewell.intervarsity.org.